Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Lift up your heart from me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to gather in your house, worship you, study your word, and let the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Let the words of my mouth be what you want them to be. Amen. So we're a little um, over halfway through the year, so I thought today would be a good time to look at our theme for the year again, and it's Look 2020, and it's seeing the world the way God sees it. Uh, we've had some of the, you probably noticed that logo on some of our bulletins and newsletters and, and connect cards like this postcard we had printed out at the beginning of the year with the verse from uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7b. The Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Amen. So look, 2020. So that idea of uh, that looking at for God's view, looking toward a biblical worldview has been our theme this year. We're going to revisit that this weekend as seeing what? Seeing the world God's way. So this weekend, we celebrate the birth of our nation. When our founding leaders signed the Declaration of Independence, we are going to look at what the biblical view of leadership, what sort of leader does God endorse, what should the church and her leaders do, in a nation like we have today, with so much, so many problems, both um, interpersonal health problems and uh, just several different crises at the same time. How should the church and its leaders speak to the world, speak to the nation? Usually, when people look for the idea of a God's uh, view of a leader, a godly leader. They pick out King David. But today I want us to look as an example of Esther, Queen Esther. See, we're starting out a um, Bible series on Bible heroes. So today we're going to look at a Bible shero, Esther. Now, I know that almost every uh, Toastmasters article and, and probably even a speech professor would say that if you start out by saying Webster's defines so-and-so, you're going to have a pretty rough speech. <laughs> but So I'm going to start out with this. 
The 2018 Scrabble Dictionary defines shiro as an acceptable form of the word heroin or female hero. So we're going to look at our Bible shiro, Esther. You can go ahead and turn to the book of Esther. <clears throat> and we're going to start with Esther chapter 4. And I'll give you some uh, background on Esther. <clears throat> so, in it, you'll see uh, Esther's about uh, 400 years before the Easter story. And in it we have King Xerxes. Xerxes, and here we uh, the ESV uses his Hebrew name, Hazarus. If you watch the History Channel or action movies, it's King Xerxes. And that was uh, his uh, Greek name. And he was the Persian leader. And a few years ago, there was a pretty famous movie called 300. And it was about a battle between Xerxes and King Leonidas of Sparta. And in it, Leonidas and the Spartans uh, with only a small force, 300 soldiers, they held off Xerxes and his huge Persian army in a small pass. And uh, they all died, but they wound up buying enough time for the other Greek city-states to come and hold back Xerxes from uh, his European conquest. See, because his empire, even the Bible says it here, his empire spread from India all the way through North Africa. So it was a vast empire. And this is his uh, capital city of Susa. And uh, you may not have heard of this. The Citadel of Shushan. The Citadel of Shushan shows up in classical literature. But the is the city of Susa in modern-day Iran. And so that's where his capital city was. And it was a fortress city. And that's where Xerxes lived. And this was a few years after he returned back from that battle with the, with the Greeks. That, that movie was I was telling him about, 300. It was a couple years after he returned back from that battle. There was a big banquet. And at this big banquet, his queen, Vashti, she refused to come out when he summoned her. And all the advisors and all the people said, well, if the emperor can't make his wife come when he calls, what good are we going to do when we try to get our wife to do something? So they all talked to him and... Uh, asked him and, and made him realize that she was being insolent, King. And so he wound up 
taking her out of the castle, divorcing her, getting her gone. And they, uh, but the problem is he needed a new queen. And so sometimes it is portrayed as a beauty contest of sorts. But basically, since he was the king of this giant area, he got all the most beautiful, smartest, richest women from all over the empire to come to Susa to wait on him and to see who would be his next queen. And in that group was Esther. And she was a Jewish girl that was being raised by her relative Mordecai. And Mordecai told her, whatever you do, if you go into the palace, don't tell them that you're Jewish. Because even at that time, there was anti-Semitism. There was people that, that hated the Jews in that area. They wanted to wipe them out then. This happened during the time of uh, the beginning of the book of Ezra, when the people were in captivity, but they had a certain amount of freedom by then, and soon they'd be released to go back and rebuild, start rebuilding the temple, Ezra and Nehemiah. But during this time, that's when Esther lived. And so, Esther found favor with everyone she met. She, uh, she would talk to the, the people that were in charge of the king's harem. She would talk to the people that were in charge of all of his goods. And so Esther became loved by all the Jewish people and by all the working people in the king's castle and the king's empire. And so she, she became the, the fan favorite, if you will, or the people's choice. And people loved her. And one of the people that was in the king's advisory panel was Haman. Haman was evil and despicable. He hated the Jewish people. And his great-grandfather was actually supposed to have been killed by King Saul. But King Saul, he disobeyed God and let, let him live. And, that, and later on, Haman's there now. And Haman is one of the people he can't stand the most is Mordecai. Because Mordecai is thing to have the things he wants. So he wanted to go take everything Mordecai had. And not just Mordecai, he wanted to wipe out all of those people. And he came up with a plan that he thought he could get the king to sign off on. He's like, see, it'd be economically beneficial for you to allow me to go in and get rid of this Jewish problem. And so that's where we're going to pick up Esther's living in the citadel. Haman is uh, working to try to get rid of the Jews and chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city 
and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. But he would not accept him. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for all the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai that Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent... At this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in the Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And so, she planned... She prayed and fasted for those three days and then she planned to go in before him. And she went into the courtyard and he held out the scepter and she invited him to dinner. Now that was her big plan. When her big plan, it reminds me of what Jesus said to the evangelists when he sent them out. He said, be as shrewd or as wise as serpents but as innocent as doves. 
Found during his three days, she could have. She had the love of the working people. She had the love of the Jewish people. She could have organized a strike on Haman first. Took him out first. That could have been part of the plan. She could have had everyone like come in and tell the king, King, this is what's going on, and like they're trying to do this to your queen. But instead, she went and she invited him to dinner. She risked her life to invite him to dinner. He he held out his scepter and remembered why he chose her, that he loved her greatly. He'd just been busy this past 30 days. And she said, you can bring your advisor Haman with you. So they went to his dinner. She made a banquet of his favorite foods. Music, wine, Haman was there. She served them. And then he said, I love you so much. I'll give you anything you ask, anything you want. Even half of my kingdom, half of whatever I have. Just name it. Just tell me what you want. And she says, I just want you to come back to lunch tomorrow. And you can bring Haman also. So that night, the king went back to his chambers. Haman left, and the king couldn't sleep that night. So he called for a scribe to read from him, from the chronicles of Xerxes, the chronicles of the kingdom. He had a scribe that followed him around, writing down all of his adventures, the wars he was in, the battles he was in, and all the great banquets they had. And he asked that scribe, well, read me one of the chronicles. And the scribe opened up the book of Xerxes at the citadel of Shanshu and started telling him a story about how Mordecai the Jew, how he, had, he was loyal and he overheard two of the king's bodyguards plotting in their heart to become assassins, to kill the king, to overthrow him. And when he overheard this, he made his way into the palace to warn the king that there was evildoers amongst the be, be wary. These people are close to you. They're going to take you out. They're planning it. And there's people you trust, that your door guards. And so when it was found to be true, he had them executed. And, and it was written down in the book like Mordecai helped save the king's life that day. And so when uh, the story was recounted back to Xerxes, he's like, he's like, Mordecai was a good man. He's a good man, uh, son of Israel. And he said, what, uh, what did we do for him? And the scribe looked at the book and he's like, it doesn't say. We, didn't, we never gave him a reward for it. And so he was like, well, what do you give someone that has saved your life and given you the world? And so at that time, he heard some noise in the outer courtyard. And he looked, and Haman had showed up. Haman was there to ask if he could go ahead and hang Mordecai on these gallows he'd built, on this spike he'd built outside of his house. Because Mordecai 
He just hated them so much. And so he said, Hammond, come in. Like, you know, you're my, you're my advisor, come in. So if there was someone that the king wanted to honor, what do you think would be a good way to honor him? And Haman was sitting there thinking this was for him. He's like, he's like, I would take him and I would put the king's own robe off of his back on him. And I would I'd even let him wear the crown for a day. And I'd let him ride the king's horse, his prize horse that he rides in the battle. And I would get his most trusted servant to follow him all throughout the city saying, Behold, this is, this is the king's servant. Look how much the king honors this man. And Xerxes thought about it and he says, These are all great things. Do all of what you said for Mordecai. Since you are my most trusted advisor, I want you to lead the horse through the city and tell everybody that, look, this man is... Uh, this man is an honorable man and he is loyal to the king and the king has repaid his honor. And this is what the king does to his friends. This is what the king, this is how the king repays honor with honor. And so Mordecai had to go give that crown that he wanted so badly, give that robe that he wanted so badly. And like go through the city, you could see just how it just the word was sticking in his mouth. He hated Mordecai so much he had to tell everyone that he met. Behold, this is an honorable good man. The king appreciates a man like this. And so the next day they still had lunch. At Esther's in Esther's room, and so if you go with me to chapter six, verse we're gonna start with verse uh, fourteen there. While they were yet talking with him, the king's units arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, 
this wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from the queen Esther, for he saw the harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? I love that part where he's sitting there throwing himself at her feet, trying to grab her and beg her, please save my life. And Xerxes walks back to him and he's like, look, he's trying to uh, hurt her now when I'm in here. This is my house and he's still trying to do this. Then Harbonera, uh, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated. And so, in the end, this became the festival of Purim. And every year, Jewish people around the world celebrate. It says here in uh, chapter 9, verse 20, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Hazarus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar, also the 15th day of the same year by year, as day days the Jews got relief from their enemies. So it's still, to this day, remembered. Every year. And so, God prepared Esther to be a servant queen. See, she didn't lead her people in the battle. She didn't lead uh, by doing the, the big hard things we normally would associate. This is why the world, the world sees that leaders should be the Samson type of leader, the, the big hero. That's why they picked Saul to be their first king. They wanted somebody that would come in and be the tough guy and that would that would uh, demand respect. But God, he picks people like Esther and people like David. David, when God picked them, he was still the shepherd boy, the shepherd king. And we see it's because people like, people like um, Saul, they want to be waited on. See, the world's idea of leadership has... The commoners down here, and it's their job to serve and take care of the king above them. But the servant king, the good shepherd model that God endorses, is the opposite. It is the leader takes care of the people, make sure the people are led. Like you know, you're reading the twenty-third Psalm this morning, and that's how. God says leaders should be. They should make sure their people are taken care of, that they have plenty. 
that they um, guide them softly. Don't force them under the under the boot heel, but like guide them with the general shepherd staff. And Jesus guides us in a better understanding of how we should be servant leaders. He left us some advice for us also about how we see, because we're all called to be leaders somewhere. It could be in our household. It could be in a... uh, Sunday school only has three people. Or it could be like a nation. And we're all called to lead somewhere. And Jesus said, on that final day of judgment, Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him then He will sit on the glorious throne before Him. He will be gathered all the nations and He will be separated people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. So we need to help take care of the people around us. We need to welcome the strangers, welcome people into our lives. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. See, I like those two. Just visiting. Just visiting someone is part of that. Softly guiding them back towards the right direction. Uh, Visiting in prison, I was reminded of the story of Jim Baker. No matter what your views are on Jim Baker, at one time, he was the most hated preacher in the country, right? He was in prison. He was scrubbing toilets as part of his job in prison. And he said, Jim Baker said, the guards didn't want, uh, came to him one day and said, you had a visitor. He either said he didn't want to see anybody. He was, he was so angry and he was just so angry with everything, not only himself but everything. And he said, he didn't want to see anybody. And the guards were like, no, you better you trust us. You want to come. Come on. You got a visitor today. And then finally he gave in and said, I'm going, but I'm going like this with toilet water splashed all over my overalls because that's what I am now. That's what Jim Baker said. And he said he walked into the room to see who this visitor was. And the person standing there that came to see him was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, one of the like the like most loved preacher of the time, had taken time to visit him while he was in prison. And remind him of God's love for him. Remind him that God still loves you even though you messed up. You need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to live the right way. And that's what he told him. 
And he sat there and he prayed with him and talked with him that day. And, and he left. He said, you know, he only came once. But that one time was enough to, to like, reiterate that God loves people. And God's servants love people. The, the leaders that people, that God puts in charge, they love the people underneath them also. They love the people around them. And so that's one of the reasons I like that about when Jesus says that when I was in prison, you visited me. And, you know, people don't want to say, like, when, when, when did I visit you? When did I come? When did I do like, when did I bring you food? Or when did I attend you when you're sick? And he said, well, you did it for the least of these. You did it for me. And so, as a servant leader, everyone around us, they have a the right to our abilities. We have to serve everyone around us, whether we think they deserve it or not. Everyone around us is like people we should be serving because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Because that's how we will be judged there on that final judgment day according to the Gospel of Matthew. So what should we be doing in the meantime how should we act and how should we judge our leaders? A lot of times, especially during election years, people say that, like, how should leaders be judged or how, you know, people, I've heard often, like, they weren't, we're not uh, electing a pastor-in-chief or a commander-in-chief, you know, but one of the things that we should still look for in ourselves and in others is Micah six eight. In Micah six eight it's we should I used to know it by heart in King James <laughs> but it was to do justice and to walk humbly and to love kindness. That is what we need to do. We need to do justice, walk humbly, and love kindness. And we do those things for God. We do those things for the people around us. And we can help lead our families, help lead our church, our city, our nation to a better world. Amen. Amen. All right. And we have an uh, invitation song. And like we always say, that not... A lot of people are being called to different things. Now, if you need uh, forgiveness for this week, if you need, if you've never been baptized and want to know more about it, you can come talk to me and Frank afterward. We can talk about baptism and what it means to us. Or if you've just haven't been feeling like you've been doing the right thing lately. You can take this moment just to sit in your pew. It doesn't have to be big. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes and raise your hand. You can just take this moment to talk to Jesus. Tell him a little about your trouble. Right? That's how the song goes, the old song. All right, you're gonna I have a song for us. Frank. Yes. It's uh, one eighteen.